Well, good morning. We want to welcome all of our campuses. And just a reminder that here at the Bible Chapel, we believe that everyone is on a spiritual journey. You may be journeying away from the Lord. You may be journeying to the Lord, or you may be journeying with the Lord. Everyone is on a journey. Here at the Bible Chapel, we want to help you in that journey, wherever you are. Whatever questions you have, whatever's going on in your life, we want to help you take a step closer to a relationship with Christ or a step further along in a relationship with Christ. And all of our campuses have that same mission, that same goal, and there are ministries at every campus to help you do that. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we open his word. Father, we thank you for the worship time at every campus. We thank you for the songs uh, we have sung, allowing us to dig from the depths of our heart and, and sing truths about you, express our praise to you, express our love for you. And Father, we pray that now as we open your word, that you would speak to us as only you can do. We have absolutely nothing to say unless it comes from your word. And we pray that you would use your word to speak to each individual. We come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We come from all kinds of different weeks. And Lord, you know exactly where we are. Meet us where we are. But Lord, don't leave us there. Take us to that next step. Help us to deal with issues that we need to deal with. Encourage us, convict us, prompt us, exhort us. Remind us, Lord, that, that as believers, we are, we are in your strong right hand. Father, we come um, across the Pittsburgh area and even in Florida, and, and we come to, to hear from you now in your word. And before we do that, with one voice, we want to pray together as our Savior, Jesus Christ, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This guy on the screen here is a guy named Harry Ironside. He was a well-known Bible teacher the first half of the 20th century. He knew the, backwards, the Bible backwards and forwards. From 1929 to 48, he was the pastor of the, of the famous Moody Church, in Chicago, and during that time, there were a lot of Bible conferences around our country and around the world, and he was a premier speaker at these conferences. Dallas Seminary tried to get him to become a professor at Dallas, and he didn't want to do that. He wanted to travel and speak and pastor a church, uh, but he became a very frequent uh, guest lecturer at Dallas Seminary. One day, uh, Ironside was, was going through a stretch of time, studying something, going through a time in his life, where he realized he was struggling with pride. And he knew he needed to do something about it. And so he said, okay, what am I going to do? What, what would be the most humbling thing 
that I could possibly do. Now, you've got to remember, this was back in the 30s and 40s. The Depression era was going on. And he said, I know. What if I put a sandwich board on and walked around the streets of Chicago to advertise some of the events that are going on at Moody Church? If you've seen a sandwich board, uh, there are a lot of people, particularly before advertising and billboards and digital advertising, people would walk around advertising with these sandwich boards. So he said, that's what I can do. I can't think of anything more humiliating than that. So that's what he did. He put on the sandwich board, and he walked around Chicago advertising things going on at Moody. And then he said, he got to thinking how amazing it was that he would humble himself that much (laughs) to put on a sandwich board. Who else would do that? And Ironside said, in his attempt at humility, he became proud. That ever happened to you? We all struggle with pride. It's insidious. We can become dangerously proud of even the humble things. And we can work to be proud of our appearance, our position, our economic status, our home, the car we drive, our our intellect, our children. Don't you love those bumper stickers? My child is an honor student. Don't you want one? My child barely got out of the fifth grade. (laughs) Pride's not only a struggle, it's a sin. Proverbs 21.4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp. That word lamp means life. The, the life of the wicked are sin. Haughty eyes, proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. And like all sin, it carries devastating consequences. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. Today, as we continue our study of Proverbs, we want to see what the Proverbs have to say about this issue of humility and pride. And again, the Proverbs are going to contrast humility and pride, compare humility and pride, and then explain this issue that we deal with. The primary author of uh, the Proverbs is a man named Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. And during his time, there was a lot of Uh, wisdom literature going on. The Egyptians had their wisdom literature and the Babylonians had their wisdom literature and the Mesopotamians, they had their wisdom literature. But there was a a distinctive uh, factor with the wisdom literature of Israel, Solomon's wisdom literature. In chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon made it clear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wisdom, another word for wisdom, knowledge. Solomon made it clear that that true wisdom is theistic. It begins with God, the fear of the Lord. He not only said it in chapter 1, verse 9, but he says it again in 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear, remember, we talked about a couple times ago when we say fear of the Lord, found fear of the Lord or fear of the Lord is found like 300 times in Scripture, so we need to know what it means. And it doesn't mean a cowering fear or running from God in fear, a dreaded fear. It means a familial fear, a, a respect and a love that we have for our mother and our dad. We want to please them. We know they love us. They care for us. They nurture us. And, and, and we want to do things to respect them, to honor them, to be in awe of them, and that's what fear of God means. Wisdom, we said, means God's word, embracing God's word, and learning the skills of biblical living, biblical truth in everyday life. Taking God's word, learning the skills of it. Remember the word, wisdom is the word hakma. It means a, a skilled person, a person who has specific skills, a builder or an artist or an embroiderer back in Exodus. And it came to mean a person who has the skills of life, the moral skills, to put them into practice. Now, throughout the Proverbs, the writer is going to teach us what, what life looks like when we're living a wise life, when we're living under the authority of God. And so he always starts with God. If we were to kind of draw a picture of, of Proverbs, it would look like this. It always starts with God. And the primary writer, Solomon, there are other writers, but the primary writer, Solomon, uh, uses the word Yahweh for God. Yahweh, when you read it in your Bible, is always going to be in all caps. Lord is going to be in all caps. That's the translation of Yahweh. And Yahweh means the covenantal God, the God of covenant, the God who loves me so much that he, has a, he wants a relationship with me. And the beautiful picture of this is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when the Lord God breathed into man the breath of life. We'll talk about that passage in just a second. The Proverbs show two types of people. One person is the wicked, and the other person is righteous. The word righteous is found like 64 times through the book of Proverbs. The, the wicked man rejects God, wants nothing to do with God. And he's considered in Proverbs a fool. The righteous man fears God. Righteous person fears God. And he's considered in Proverbs wise. Now, the Proverbs addresses this person over here. That's Solomon's aim. Remember, he's using his instruction to teach parents to teach their children, to teach mentors, to teach their students. And he's addressing the person who knows God. In the New Testament, we call this a believer, a Christian. And there are two parts to being righteous. The first part is positional. So when we trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, Many passages tell us this, but first, our second Corinthians 5.21 says we are made righteous. We don't make ourselves righteous. God makes us righteous, and that positional righteousness means that we have a right standing before God. Because of Jesus, we now have a right standing before God. 
But righteousness also has the idea of practice. So now we have this, just went away. Now we have this position before God, right? But how do we have this position, but how do we put it into practice? And so the Proverbs teach us how to put this position into practice. We have a right standing. How do we do right things? How do we say the right thing? That makes sense? One of the things that we're going to talk about as we go through today, we're going to talk about humility and pride. How do we put humility into practice? Again, there's this fine line between Pride and humility. And we all know it. And we all struggle with it. Fine line. So let's think about it. We'll start with some definitions. First of all, humility is living in submission to God. Humility has nothing to do with the personality trait. You could be quiet and, and, and reserved and not be humble. You can be loud and outspoken and not be proud. You're obnoxious, but you're not proud. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the characteristic. It's, it's from the heart. It's from the inside. It's living a life in submission to God. And, and, and we see this characteristic of humility in God himself. First of all, that passage I mentioned earlier, Genesis 2-7. So God, Elohim, creates the heavens and the earth. He just speaks the world into existence. He says, let there be light, and there's light. Think about that. Let there be light, and there's light. That's God. That's Elohim. That's the all-powerful God. In Genesis 2, we start seeing that God created man, and so now we have the word Yahweh Elohim, that God of relationship. In Genesis 2, 7, it says he created man. So he forms man out of the dust, and then he breathes in to man the breath of life. Just picture that in your mind. When you're reading scripture, picture it. What would that look like? If I was there standing and watching God breathe into man the breath, what would that look like? I always think of this man laying there. He's, he's, he's lifeless. And the eternal God, the one who just said, let there be light and there was light, he gets down on his knees. Kind of mouth to mouth resuscitation. He breathes into man the breath of life. That's humility. And we see that in God himself. We see it in Jesus, don't we? Philippians chapter 2, remember? Jesus, who being equal, equal with God, being God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Ephesians chapter 2, 3 says, Do nothing <clears throat> from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Man, if we lost our Bibles and only had that verse for the rest of our lives, it'd keep us busy, wouldn't it? Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Remember, Jesus has given us this. Who, though he was in the form of God, he was God, he was God in the flesh. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. While Jesus was on earth, although he was God, he didn't always act like, he, he, he lived in a human body. He got tired, he slept, 
He went through all the human stuff. He didn't say, I'm God, I don't have to do that. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human. Here's why he did it. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. What? Even death on the cross. See, that's humility. And Paul says, have that mind, have that same mind of Jesus in yourself. Humility is submission to God. Pride is living independently of God. I'll be my own God. I'll do my own thing. I'll do it my way. I don't really care what God says. This is what I want to do, and this is how I'll do it. Now, the unbeliever, that's how they live. They, they reject God. They're just living on their own. The believer, although they have the position, can fall into this independency, right? We can all fall into that. Therein lies the struggle. While humility is a characteristic of God, pride is a characteristic of Satan. Remember, Satan was a created being, uh, the most beautiful of angels, powerful. Lucifer was his name. And there was a time, an eternity passed, we don't know how it worked, there's no uh, record of exactly how it worked, but there was a time when Satan wanted to be like God, and he was thrown from heaven, and all the angels that followed him. Most commentators think the description of that is found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Let me read it. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, another name for Satan, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you are laid, you are laid, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. End of verse 14. I will make myself like what? Like God. And then Satan used that same craving to meet Adam and Eve in the garden and tell them it really doesn't matter what God said about that fruit. Here's why he doesn't want you to eat it. Because when you eat it, what? You're going to be like him. He used that same craving and Adam and Eve took the fruit and pride has infected our nature ever since. And that's the battle, isn't it? We have a standing before God. We're righteous, right standing before God. And our practice, we struggle with this fine line between humility and pride. There are many uh, Hebrew and Greek words that describe pride uh, uh, in the Old Testament and in the New. Uh, you have the word for haughty, haughty eyes, where your eyes are lifted up so you look down on people. Arrogance, insolence, all these words. But the word I love, that helps me think about pride the most is the Hebrew word zid. And it describes a, a pot of boiling water. 
and the water is boiling so much that it's escaping the pot. It's, it's running down the sides of the pot. That's a beautiful picture, for me at least, of, of pride. It means to boil. It means to seethe. It, it has the idea of, of water boiling over the pot, signifying that the water has overstepped the boundaries. And that's what pride does. It, it oversteps our God-given boundaries, and it, and it moves us into an area of independence from God. Sometimes for five minutes... Sometimes for five days, sometimes for a stretch of life, always dangerous. Okay, in our time remaining, let's go through uh, the Proverbs. There are many places where it hits humility and pride. But let me, I think I have about six observations to make. Again, you're reading through this on your own, right? Yeah, you are. You really are. And uh, you are on day 21, so you're a proverb Chapter 21 today, if, you, if you're behind, catch up. If you've not started, start at 21 today, but read through the Proverbs. Let them bathe over your heart and your mind. Here's one observation about humility and pride. First of all, a relationship with God begins with humility. Let's just start there at the basis. A relationship with God begins with humility. It is the fool who says in his heart there is no God. It is the proud person who says there is no God. It's the wicked person in Proverbs who says, I don't need God. Humility is where a relationship with God starts. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says this, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin. The writer is using this as a rhetorical statement, and the answer is, no one can say that. But there are a lot of people who say, hmm, yeah, I can. I, I can do this religious thing. I can, uh, I can go to church. I can give. I can, I, I can do communion. I can be baptized. I can be a member. I can do all these things. I can, make, I can jump the religious hoops, and I can make myself pure. But man, throughout the Bible, we're told there's ab- that man falls short. There's absolutely no way that we can make ourselves pure. No way we can scrub our heart. We can't even do it by, by, by asceticism, by doing it. That's what a lot of, uh, of people did. Remember in, in early church history, they said, we're going we're gonna to beat ourselves over the back. First of all, we're going to move out away from society because if we get away from society, we get away from those sinners. The problem is wherever you go, there you are, right? <laughs> and there are people who are beating themselves over the back thinking that, beating themselves over the back, they would beat humility into themselves. Paul addresses this in Colossians chapter 2, verse um, 23. He says, these people have have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the heart. Just think about the insidious nature of pride. You can be on your knees flagellating yourself on the back and be the most proud person in the room. A relationship with God begins with humility. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's, this is not of your own doing. This is not of your own doing. This is not of your own doing. It's a free gift of God. 
It's not a result of works. He's already said that, right? This is not of your own doing. He emphasized it's not a result of works. So no one can be proud of it. It's all of God. Relationship with God begins with humility. Number two, pride produces chaos. Humility brings peace. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, be not wise in your own eyes. Again, that's a description of pride. Be not wise in your own Fear the Lord. Live in awe and respect and honor of the Lord. Turn away from evil. And if you do that, it's going to be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When you live in pride, as a believer, when you live independently of God, there is this thing that comes on you called what? Conviction. Guilt. David, David talks about this in the Psalms. David says, your hand was heavy up on me. David says, it was like my bones were wasting away. It, it's physically heavy. When you're a believer living independently of God, unless you're really in a calloused place, God's, God loves you too much to let you live there. So he convicts us so that we'll come back. And that conviction, I've seen people go into the hospital with close to nervous breakdown because of the conviction in their life. They're living in sin. Man, for a believer, sin is a bad place to live. It brings chaos in our life. When we live independently from God, we think we can fix everything. We think we, we can make everything happen. We think we can call the shots. And we know life doesn't work like that. Talk to people, and you know, they're the self-made man right there. They pull themselves up by the bootstraps, and they're successful and all this stuff. And, and then they come and say, you know what? Then my wife got sick. And for the first time, I realized I couldn't fix it. That's humility. And that's when we have to submit ourselves to God and say, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. I don't get this, I don't, I don't even like it, but I'm submitting myself to you. When we live in humility, submission to God, Proverbs says it brings, it brings healing to our flesh. It's refreshing to our bones. We know that God's, isn't it great to know that God's in charge and we're not? That you don't have to fix it, that you can't fix it? that you don't have to think up something else to do. God's in charge. Humility brings healing to our body. Number three, healing is the heart cure for racism and prejudice. Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer, or uh, another name here, your translation may say mocker. This is someone who looks down on everybody else. Mocker or scoffer is the name of the arrogant, the haunty, the man who acts with arrogant pride. Looks down on other people. And when that prejudice and racism and that all that's in our hearts, it comes out in, in our actions. By the way, um, this can be dealing with people of, who are different than we are, Right? It can deal with people who have different skin color than we do. 
But there's another area here that's subtle. We can be a mocker or scoffer to other Christians when we judge them. When they're not far along as we are. When they fall, how could they do that? What are they doing? I would never do that. I've only had one person tell me, these guys, I can't believe they have a problem, problem with lost and all that stuff. I, I, nah, you know what? I, don't, I'm, I, I would never have an issue with that. And he did. Remember what the New Testament, be careful when you think you stand, when you're proud of your standing, be careful lest you fall. Number four. Humility is the remedy for self-promotion. Humility is the remedy for self-promotion. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 25. Let me just uh, hit a few of these passages here. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So don't just presume your standing. The writer here says it's better for you to lay in the back and have the noble say, hey, you in the back, come on up front, than for you to, in self-promotion and pride, stand up front and him say, what are you doing here? Get to the back. Be careful with self-promotion. Look at chapter 25, verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain. So it's cloudy, and you think, man, it's going to rain today. Then the winds kick up, and you think, it's really going to rain today. But it never does. Like clouds and wind without rain is the man who boasts of a gift he does not have. Uh, for all of us, particularly businessmen and women, boy, this is a great passage, isn't it? Don't make promises you can't keep. Don't promise a sale you can't make. Don't promise a product you can't deliver. Don't promote yourself to get the sale knowing in your heart you can't do that. 25 verse 17. It is not good to eat much honey. I would just insert the word chocolate for me. It's not good to eat much chocolate. Nor is it glorious to seek one's glory. Just as eating too much chocolate makes you a little nauseated, so seeking your glory is nauseating to God. Self-promotion. Man, we live in a day of self-promotion, don't we? Social media has, has, has just exacerbated what we are, the problem we already had, from selfies to Instagram to Facebook and challenges, there's some good things about social media. Many of you advertise your business through social media. That's a great thing. Man, we can do all kinds of ministry with social media. But then there's this fine line, right, between humility, doing it for the right reasons, and doing it for the wrong reasons. And you say, wait a second, self-promotion, don't, shouldn't we teach our kids to be self-confident? And shouldn't we be confident people? Shouldn't you teach your kids to be self-confident? Well, let's see what you mean by that. If you mean 
that you want your child to think that he's the most important person who ever walked on the face of the earth, if you want your child to think that in himself he can do anything he wants to do or she can do anything she wants to do, if you want your child to think that within himself, just himself or herself, that's where true confidence and personhood grows from, the answer is absolutely no. You don't want your kid to be self-confident. That's the description of the wicked person in the Proverbs. Do you want your kid to be confident in God? Then you begin to teach them the Proverbs. My significance comes from God. I don't own a thing. I don't own my brain, my intellect, my training. It's God who placed me in a country where I can go to get the next level of training I need. My significance is in Him. And yeah, I can stand tall because my significance is in Him. I'm secure. My security is not based on whom I'm dating, who I who I am dating at the time or what grades I make. Although it's good to make good grades, but again, there's that fine line, right, between pride and humility. My acceptance is not what friend group I'm in, but because the eternal God accepts me and has made me his child. Forgiveness. I don't have to live with guilt because I can learn forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Empowerment. I got got the Holy Spirit living within me. Safe. I am safe. Right? Two S's. I am significant. I am secure. I am accepted. I'm forgiven. I'm empowered in Jesus. That's what we want to teach our kids, right? That's the confidence we want to teach our kids. So that when they stand confident before an employer... They're standing confident, but in their heart, they know, God, you're in control of this. You're the one going to give me this job or not. You're the one going to get me in this college or not. I don't have to fake anything on the, on the resume. I'm telling the truth because you are a God of truth. And you're going to give me what you know is best for me. That's the confidence we really need to teach our kids and show with our lives. Number five. Pride plays God. Humility trusts God. Proverbs 27, 1, do not boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day is going to bring. So, 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 so don't make promises about yourself or about what you can do. That's a, it's not in your pay grade. I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That, now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. Proverbs all about planning. But, but we plan with humility if God allows it to happen. God, help me make this plan knowing that I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. I, I, I need your help in that. I cannot, I cannot plan independently. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that, that popular, that known verse tells us that, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he's the one who will direct your paths. All right, last observation. Then we'll look at some application here. Uh, Both humility and pride carry results. Humility and pride carry results. I'm not going to go through these. I'm just going to list. I'm going to give you some passages to look at. Jot down Proverbs 11.2. 
Jot down Proverbs 16, 5, uh, Proverbs 3, 34, Proverbs 15, 25. You can find the others on your own. And there you will see that with pride comes disgrace. That with pride comes destruction. It may not happen tomorrow. The proud person may get by for a long time, but sooner or later, they're going, you can't live without God without being destroyed. Sooner or later. On the other hand, humility in those passages brings strength. Humility brings honor. Uh, Humility brings blessing. Both carry results. So what do you do if you're struggling with, well, what do all of us do since we are struggling with pride? Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verse 32 says this. Here's here's what you do. Anyone Anyone Struggling with pride? Okay, me. Um, Verses for me, what do I do? If you have have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand to your mouth. Stop it. Stop doing it. Pretty clear, isn't it? Don't do it anymore. Now, the question is, How? How can I stop it? Three things. First, if you're going to develop a heart of humility, if I'm going to develop a heart of humility, if we're going to continue to develop a heart of humility, we have to read Scripture daily. You have to be in God's Word. There is no substitute. That's the first thing you do. If you had an ailment and you went to the doctor and he said, here is the first thing you do, what would you do? What he told you to do. You got to be in Scripture. Scripture bathes over us. Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. It's, it's, it's all God's word to us. It's profitable for teaching us. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction, instruction in righteousness. When we're in God's word and we're going through a time of pride, God's going to say, hey, you can't do that got to move from that. Dangerous. We're going to see that in his word. We're going to read stories about people who fell because of their pride. We're going to see stories of people who were blessed because of their humility. You've got to be in God's word. Before you read God's word, jot this down. Uh, Psalm Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Before you read God's word, just use this as the framework for your heart. God, I'm getting ready to read your word. I'm busy, I'm distracted, i got to get to work here, but I, I'm, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to find this time. I'm going to relax and read your word. So God, here's what I need you to do. Search me and know or make known my heart. Try me and make known my thoughts. And God, show me where I'm messing up. See if there is any grievous way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. That's a prayer to pray when you start reading Scripture each time. Secondly, serve others. Every believer has a gift and should use it to serve others. We'd love for you to use it in the church. You may use it somewhere else. 
God knows where you need to use it. But if you're not serving others, you are serving yourself. Period. The end. You are looking inside. You're living life looking in a mirror. It's about me. I'll do my thing. And you're going to live a miserable life. Someone said a package wrapped up in, it, in itself is a very small package. And if you're all wrapped up in yourself, you're not serving others, you're going to live a, a shriveled up, miserable life. So use your gift. Find out what your spiritual gift is and use it to serve others. Get beyond yourself. Get over yourself. Get beyond yourself. You're going through a diff- if you're going through a difficult time and really struggling, the best thing you can do is to serve others. It'll get your mind off of your struggles. It'll get your mind off yourself. Last one, stretch yourself. Get out of your comfort zone. I struggle with pride when I get caught in my comfort zone. Because you know what? I can kind of handle that on my own. It's comfortable. I know I need God because his word says I do, and I talk about it all the time, but eh, I can kind of do this on my own. It's a bad place to be in. So get in places that stretch you. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe serving at Washington City Mission. It may be serving at Light of Life. It may be be going on a mission trip where you're in a new country. Man, it is for me. When I go to a new country, I'm stretched. I'm in an area I'm not familiar with. Maybe a little risky sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching to people, not like you, who... You know, they knew this sermon wasn't very good, but they can come back next week. I mean, I only have one shot, you know, with, with those individuals. So I'm praying, God, unless you use this, unless you use this, you're going to work. And then get me over myself because am I trying to really impress them? Or am I trying to impress up on them that you're God? <laughs> it's an insidious thing, this humility and pride thing, isn't it? So stretch yourself. When was the last time you put yourself in a situation where you said, God, if you don't show up, this is not going to end well. God, if you don't show up, this isn't going to happen. Read God's word daily. How do you you deal with pride? By the way, you're not going to overcome pride, right? We're going to struggle with it until the day we die. We're not going to overcome it. I'm sorry to share that with you. It's not encouraging, I know. But that's just the deal. So how are we going to battle it? How are we going to deal with it? In God's word, serving others, and keep stretching yourself. We're going to hand off to the other campuses at this point. And here at the South Hills, we're going to sing an, an old hymn. I've asked uh, Christine's going to come out and lead us in an old hymn. This hymn was written, was published back in 1896 by a guy named Justin Van, uh, Van Deventer. And um, he, he was going through a time of his life when he was struggling with something God wanted him to do. And um, he didn't want to do it. But he finally had to trust God. And he said, when I surrendered all, a new day was ushered into my life. And we're going to sing this song. He, he then wrote this old song, All to Jesus. I surrender 
All to him I freely give. I will ever love and what? Trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, oh, I want those. But I'm gonna follow him, I have to forsake them. Take me, Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me, Savior, wholly thine. 